Welcome back to The Compass, the podcast ministry of Calvary Baptist Church of Fayetteville, Arkansas. We're thrilled that you've chosen to download and listen as we continue our study on King David. This week, we're talking about how David loved his enemies and how he worked through that time from 1 Samuel chapter 24. The message is entitled, How to Deal with Adversity and Hardship as we look at the second part of that message. Now, if you're looking for a church home, a place where you can connect with other believers, we want to invite you to come and to be a part of Calvary. We're located at 1410 North Porter Road in Fayetteville, Arkansas. And you can find out more information through our website at calvaryfayetteville.com or check us out on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We'd love to share more information about the church. And if you'd like to talk to someone, call 479-442-4634. Again, we are looking at 1 Samuel chapter 24 as Pastor Kirk shares a second part of a message entitled, How to Deal with Hardship and Adversity. Let's listen together. Our text is 1 Samuel chapter 24. 1 Samuel chapter 24. And since we did not finish the message last week, uh, we will begin this service or this time in the Word today with uh, the same way we finished it last Sunday, with the words of an anonymous poem. It goes like this. When God wants to drill a man, thrill a man, and skill a man, when God wants to mold a man to play the noblest part, when he yearns with all of his heart to create so great and bold a man that all the world shall be amazed, watch his methods, watch his ways. How he ruthlessly perfects, whom he royally elects. How he hammers him and hurts him, and with mighty blows converts him into trial shapes of clay, which only God understands, while his tortured heart is crying, and he lifts beseeching hands. How he bends but never breaks when his good he undertakes. How he uses whom he chooses and with every purpose fuses him. By every act induces him to try his splendor out. God knows what he's about. That may speak of God in a way that you're uncomfortable with. No doubt, for many, it does. That may be describing a work of God and methods of God that you and I have never been confronted with. But nevertheless, they are true. It is doubtful that God is ever going to use a person greatly until he, first of all, hurts that person deeply. 
Maybe not directly with his hands. Maybe not by the words of his mouth. But God will use circumstances around us. God will use people around us in sometimes very hurtful ways that beat against our souls in order to shape us and to mold us into people that can truly reflect Jesus Christ in this world. Well, we continue our study of the life of David with how David responded to adversity, how he reacted to what was going on around him. And if you're familiar with the life of David previous to his becoming king, although he had already been anointed to be king by the prophet at the word of the Lord, he was not yet the king because the first king of Israel, Saul, still sat on the throne. Now remember, Saul had started off well. The Bible says the Spirit of God rushed on him, that he had God's hand of blessing on him. He saw many victories. God used him to bring the people of Israel together as a nation, to not be a collection of tribes, but to coalesce these people into the nation God intended for them to become. But yet, over time, Saul was lifted up in pride. Saul committed over a series of responses to what was happening in his life, over a period of, of not very long, to commit spiritual suicide a downward spiral until he finally came to the point that he was consulting witches about the will of God for his life and for the people. He was declining mentally. He was declining spiritually. And in response to his relations around him, he was, he was feeling threatened by anybody who got attention rather than him. And that's exactly what happened with David. And so here is this person who had been chosen by God, who was faithful to the king. Here is this young David, this one now that knows that someday he's going to be king in God's time. He's faithfully serving a man who is trying to take his life. This uh, King Saul had attempted, as the scripture says, to pin David to the wall, meaning to pierce him all the way through with his spear into the wall and to leave him hanging there. He had laid multiple traps seeking to capture him. He was hunting him down like an animal. He tried to deliver him into the hands of others who would kill him for the king. And in every attempt he made on David's life, he failed. God was preserving, God was perfecting David. What is so interesting in our passage, and the truth we're trying to communicate here, is that David is using circumstances to make him a person after God's own heart. Now let me step to the side and say this for clarification, because I think we often think of it backwards. We think of God choosing David, 
because David was a man after God's own heart, that God was blessing him because of the heart he had for God. And I want to tell you that's not the way that it is. That's backwards. David was a sinner. And during the course of his life, he is going to sin in some ways even worse than Saul before him. David did not naturally emerge after a man's or after God's own heart. God sovereignly chose him, and God was subjecting him to various trials and tests in order through these problems and through these challenges, fighting and seeking to survive just to live another day. God was using that to shape him and to mold him into a man after God's own heart. I want to say to you, the only way you will ever be a person after God's own heart, and the only way that I can ever be a man after God's own heart, is that by God's grace, I recognize his work in my life, even the hardship in my life. And I avail myself, not of some kind of talent that I have or abilities that I have, but I avail myself of the grace of God that makes it possible, only the grace of God that can make it possible for us to respond accurately to the experiences and the test of life and to be a person and become a person in doing so after God's own heart. So God subjects David to these hardships. You know the story uh, of Saul seeking after him. But let's read through the verses we read through last week. And I want to remind you of the key points of this message. There is a truth, a key truth, that God doesn't just allow. God promises hardship and adversity for his people while in this world. This hardship and adversity is not to break us except to break us of ourselves, but it it is to mold us into the people uh, that he would have us to be. And so we have to learn, as David did, to to respond to adversity and hardship in a way that honors God. Look at verse 5. Let's begin with verse 8. Afterward, David also arose and went out of the cave and called after Saul, My Lord, the king! And when Saul looked behind him, David bowed with his face to the earth and paid homage. And David said to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of men who say, Behold, David seeks your harm? Behold, this day your eyes have seen how the Lord gave you today into my hand in the cave. And some told me to kill you, but I spared you. Now, remember what has taken place. David had 600 ne'er-do-wells, thieves, crooks, lowlifes. These were the men who gravitated towards David because they were men who rebelled against authorities such as Saul's. And so David and his 600 men are in uh, the hills around En Gedi. That's southern part of Judah. It is south of Jerusalem. It's a rough and rugged wilderness, not as we would think of a wilderness, filled with trees and forest and easy to lose your way, but rocks and mountains and canyons, much easier 
to lose your way, a place of caves. And so David and his men were hiding in a cave, Saul and 3,000 crack soldiers, the best that he had, were pursuing him relentlessly. And during the course of a day, the Bible teaches us in the first part of this chapter that Saul went into a cave to relieve himself. Now, I realize the image, imagery that that um, gives to you and me, and that's perhaps correct imagery. The bottom line is, in the Hebrew, we don't know by the use of the wording here if it was to relieve himself using the cave as a latrine or to relieve himself by laying down, taking a nap, and resting in the coolness of this cave. But whatever it was that drew him into the cave, he went into the very cave where David and his men were hiding deeper in the cave. And his men rejoiced because finally the king was now in David's hand. He had no idea that David was nearby. And David sneaked up behind him, got up very close to him, and could have taken the king's life. But instead, all he did was cut off the corner of his garment and then receded back into the cave. Saul never knew David was there. And Saul left, and his men began to progress. And David comes out, and he called out in these words that we just read. And how David responded to adversity, first of all, is that he refrained from retaliation. He could have retaliated against the one who sought to take his life, but he refrained from doing so. He chose not to do so. He did not react from retaliation. Instead, or for retaliation, instead he withdrew from that and refrained from that. Now we take up the reading further in verse 10. And David is still speaking. I said, I will not put out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, see the corner of your robe in my hand. For by the fact that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you, you may know and see that there is no wrong or treason in my hands. I have not sinned against you, though you hunt my life to take it. Not only did he refrain from retaliation, he respected the authority of King Saul. Even though Saul was behaving wickedly, even though Saul was declining spiritually and mentally, even though Saul uh, had made it his one goal in life to destroy David for no reason other than his own insane jealousy, David still respected the authority of the king. He respected the authority. He realized that, guess what? God may anoint and appoint people who will seek to do harm to us. But if they are anointed and appointed by God, even if we can't respect the person and their motives, we have to respect their position and who they are. The Bible tells us to respect the authority structures in our lives. The ordained authority structures 
in our lives, our home and family, the church, the civil authorities around us. And even if they behave wickedly, we are to respect that God, for reasons known only to God, has put those people there. And Paul tells us to respect and obey them. Jesus tells us to re render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's. So how do we respond from adversity and hardship? We refrain from retaliation. We respect authority. And what goes hand in hand with that was point number th three. We realize that ultimately God is going to be the judge. Ultimately, God is the true authority behind all authority. Taking up in verse 12. David says, may the Lord judge between me and you. And may the Lord avenge me against you but my hand shall not be against you. As the proverb of the ancients says, out of the wicked comes wickedness, but my hand shall not be against you. After whom has the king of Israel come out? After whom do you pursue? After a dead dog, after a flea. David is saying, that's all that I am compared to you, Saul. I'm like a dead dog. I'm like a flea. But may the Lord therefore be judge and give sentence between me and you and see to it and plead my cause and deliver me from your hand. When you and I seek to retaliate, to respond back to someone when we've been done wrong, when we seek to do that, we make ourselves the judge and the jury. And we are neither. We are, consider ourselves in humility like dead dogs, like fleas, that it is the ultimate judge of the universe. He's the one that's really in charge of what's going on. He's the one who will ultimately have the final say. He's the one who will ultimately make all things right. Set your hope in him, not your army, not those who will back you up and say what you want to hear someone say. Your army, the only army you have is to set your hope in the army of heaven and trust God as the judge. Peter said this, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving us, leaving you an example, so that you and I might follow in his steps. He committed no sin." Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. He refrained from retaliation. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he continued trusting himself to him who judges justly. He's speaking of Jesus. And if Jesus, suffering unjustly, committed him to the one who judges justly, he leaves us an example to do the very same thing. Okay. Uh, refrain from retaliation and respect authority. Realize God is judge. Point number four, we continue today with these words. Remain cautious and pray for discernment. Re remain cautious and refrain from discernment. This is the way that you and I should respond to being done wrong, to hardship and to adversity. Remain cautious and pray for discernment. Verse 16. 
As soon as David had finished speaking these words to Saul, Saul said, Is this your voice, my son David? And David lifted up his voice and wept. He said to David, You are more righteous than I, for you have repaid me good, whereas I have repaid you evil. And you have declared this day how you have dealt with me, and that you did not kill me when the Lord put me into your hands. For if a man finds his enemy and he will let him go away safe, is that what he, is that what he does? So may the Lord reward you with good for what you have done to me this day. And now, behold, I know that you shall surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. Swear to me, therefore, by the Lord, that you will not cut off my offspring after me and that you will not destroy my name out of my father's house. And David swore this to Saul. Then Saul went home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. Okay, so I've already shared with you four points that are practically impossible to ever achieve. Only possible with the Lord do we not retaliate against those who have hurt us and those who seek our harm. Only by God's grace do we remember and respect authority even if it is behaving evilly. Is that a word, evilly? You know what I'm talking about. Only with God's help, only by God's grace, do we remember and fix our eyes on the one who is the true judge rather than the ones who have the power to do things to our lives. But here's one positive that we should take. And all of this that seems so difficult, remember this, remain cautious. No matter what they say, remain cautious and pray for discernment. We, we said last week that in not retaliating but to loving your enemies and loving those who, who treat you in an evil way, that King, or not, not yet King David, that this David the shepherd boy and warrior, living a thousand years before Jesus comes to earth, King David is already beha behaving as the kingdom citizens Jesus promoted and Jesus taught. That when Jesus presented the principles of the kingdom of God, that you don't hate your enemies, but you love your enemies. That those who compel you to do this, you go beyond what they require of you. That you go the extra mile. That you dig a little deeper in your pockets for what will help them. That you love the ones that have treated you with hatred and the ones that have sought to destroy you. That these are kingdom principles. This is not what comes natural. This is not what uh, it, it's something you and I are just born with the ability to do. That's the world's way. The world's way is to retaliate, to hate back. But even in the midst of all of that, Jesus said also this, be wise as serpents. 
But even while you're wise as a serpent, be harmless as a dove. He doesn't tell you to, to throw your brains away, to throw all of your impulses away, because if you're a child of God, we not only have the impulses of our sinful nature, we also have the leadership of God's Spirit. Be wise as serpents, but be harmless as doves. And this means that somehow we have to navigate life as sheep living among wolves. How do we discern who is a wolf and who is not? How do we discern motives? You see, life is full of evil motives. It's full of lying tongues. It's full of people who will misinterpret what we say, and they can misinterpret and mishear. And, and around us are the shifting sands of people's values and motives that are changing every single day. How do we navigate all of this when what used to be so right and so good today is labeled as something so evil and so hateful? Sometimes it's those very things that are wrong that are within us. How do we know? How can we be wise as serpents but be harmless as doves? How can we be like Jesus? Saul, when he realized that David had spared his life rather than taking it, said all of the right things. All of the right things. And at the time, we don't know, perhaps he meant everything that he said. Look back at that paragraph. As soon as David had finished speaking these words to Saul, Saul said to him, Is this your voice, my son David? And just hearing him refer to him in that way caused David to weep aloud. My child, my son David. For you see, Saul had treated David as a son earlier. Then the Saul, uh, King Saul said, you are more righteous than I am. You've repaid me good when I've repaid you with evil. He's confessing his sin. May the Lord reward you with good for what you have done to me this day. I know that you shall surely be king. That is a terrible realization for Saul. Because as the anointed king, it would be his households, his son and grandsons, great-grandsons that would one day sit on the throne. But he realizes that they will not, but that David and his descendants will. And when you find in Scripture, you find that to be true. For other than Jesus himself, David is referred to more than any other person in Scripture. 93 times in the New Testament, a thousand or more years after he was dead, is he still being mentioned in honor and respect that Jesus was of the lineage of David. I know that you shall one day be king. Well, you would think from those words that it was time for everybody to kiss and make up, right? 
Pay attention to the last sentence of the chapter. Then Saul went home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. That's not the stronghold of Jerusalem. That's not the walls of Jerusalem. It's not the safety of the capital city of the Israelites. The stronghold was a place even deeper into the wilderness and into the mountains of En Gedi. That now, maybe more than ever, I need the protection of being where this man who just said all the right things can get to me. Remain cautious. Pray for discernment. When you face adversity and hardship, you don't retaliate. You respect authority. You remember who the king is. You realize that God is the ultimate judge. But yet in all of that, even if your enemy comes to you and seeks to make it all right, you remain cautious. Pray for discernment. David knew that he couldn't just believe the best right now. He knew that to forgive was not to just naively move ahead like nothing ever happened. If there was to be a relationship going forward, trust would have to be rebuilt, not just spoken. So as we begin to wind these thoughts together, how, how do we refrain from retaliation when wronged? How do we respect authority even when it is mean-spirited and abusive? How do we surrender to the one true judge when he sometimes seems to be so distant and so uncaring? For God can sometimes appear that way. How do we maintain cautiousness and discernment without becoming critical and judgmental? Well, the answer is one that permeates this entire chapter and the chapters before it and the chapters that follow it. There's not a particular word or statement or sentence or paragraph in 1 Samuel 24 that says this. But I want to say this is the foundation of all of those things. It's number five in this outline. And it is this. We must recognize God's sovereignty in all things. Above and beyond everything else, we must recognize God's sovereignty at work in our lives. And we have to have that as a foundational truth a pair of glasses through which we see all things in order to respond correctly to hardship and adversity and the things that happen around us and to us. Friends, there is no accidents at all in your life. There are no coincidences. Nothing is random. 
Nothing is reactionary on God's part. God is not waiting in heaven to see what's going to happen next. As someone has said, has it ever occurred to you that nothing has ever occurred to God? He's not only aware of everything that touches your life, ultimately he is in control of all of that and he is using that as a part of his plan to shape you and make you and me into the image of his beloved son. He is like a great sculptor who was at work on a large piece of marble when a young boy watching as he chiseled and chiseled and chiseled. Finally overcome with curiosity and the inability to understand what it was he was making, he finally asked the sculptor and said, Sir, what is it that you are carving? And the sculptor, was not, without even looking up, but continue, continuing his work, said, I am carving a horse. A great horse. The boy watched for many minutes from every angle. It didn't look like anything to him. And yet the master continued to work and to hammer. Pieces of marble, chips were flying in every direction. And he said, are you sure you're making a horse? It doesn't look like a horse to me. And the sculptor just continued his work. He said, yes, son, it's going to be a horse. He watched a while longer and finally could not control himself and said, well, sir, how do you carve a horse? And finally, in frustration, the sculptor stopped his work, standing there on his ladder, and turned and said to the boy, I just chip away everything that doesn't look like a horse. God is doing the very same thing in your life. Through hardship, through difficulties, through adversity, also through the blessings of life. It's not that all of life is hard. God is so merciful. God is so good. God blesses us in so many ways more than we deserve. But I would challenge you to think about the fact of how many revelatory, life-changing truths have you ever learned through something that came to you easy and as a blessing? Those are just reminders of God's love, but the life-changing work in your life and my life is primarily going to come through the hard chipping away of our lives as the master sculptor, God himself, chips on you and hammers on you and chips away Everything, not that doesn't look like a horse, but everything that doesn't look like Jesus himself. And folks, God was doing king work in David's life. He was shaping him into a king, not just a warrior shepherd boy, but a king who would be after God's own heart. Is it going to mean that he won't mess up, that he won't foul up, that he won't do some bad things? No, it doesn't mean that at all. 
David is going to do some awful things. But David is going to be a man after God's own heart. For us to be servants of God, this great truth of God's sovereignty in our suffering. Leonard Ravenhill, the pastor, said this. Everyone wants to be clothed with power, but nobody wants to be stripped of self. And that's what needs to take place in your life and mine. Even more pointedly and bluntly, A.W. Tozer said, it is doubtful whether God can bless a man greatly until he has hurt him deeply. Through Old Testament stories and New Testament teachings, the Bible shows us that hardship, tests, affliction, all these things have a purpose. God uses them to shape us into the character of Christ. Sometimes through the hammer and chisel, other times through the firm but unyielding hands of the master sculptor. But you see, David's story is more than just God preparing him to be the shepherd king of his people. It is in those many days, hiding in the caves and running for his life, that God would give David songs in the night. Songs in the night. We call them psalms. They are enshrined as a part of God's word. And God was giving David these songs in the night, songs of worship, songs of lament, songs of praise, songs extolling the faithfulness of God. And God was making him into perhaps the greatest comforter among all he used to write the words of Scripture. Let me leave you with this. Poetry's blown my mind recently. I love it. Don't understand it much. But those who can, in a few words, sum, sum up such great truths. Amy Carmichael, who gave her life for the poor and the outcast of India, wrote these words. As though they were being spoken to from the Lord to one of his servants. Hast thou no scar, no hidden scar on foot or side or hand? I hear thee sung as mighty in the land. I hear them hail thy bright ascendant star. Hast thou no scar? Hast thou no wound? Yet I was wounded by the archers. Spent, leaned me against a tree to die. And rent by ravening beast that compassed me. I swooned. Hast thou no wound? No wound, no scar. Yet, now listen to this. And yet, as the master shall the servant be. And pierced are the feet that follow me. But thine are whole. Can he have followed far who has no wound?
nor scar. Father, may we follow you so closely, so faithfully, with all of our hearts. Help us, make us, shape us into people who will follow you so closely that the people who hate you will also hate us. That the people who seek to revile you will also seek to revile us. May we not try to walk hand in hand with you and the world at the same time. Help us to be like Christ, to respond to this adversity and hardship even as he did. And so in doing so, be your people unmistakably. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our heart's desire is that you grow and understand the direction God has for you in your life. We hope that by listening today, you are one step closer to discovering that for yourself. If you live in Northwest Arkansas and are looking for a church to call your own, we invite you to reach out to us at Calvary as we study and serve together. We meet for worship at 1030 on Sunday mornings at 1410 North Porter Road in Fayetteville, Arkansas. If you wish to find out more information about Calvary Church or simply contact us, you can do that through our Facebook page or at calvaryfayetteville.com. Until next time, remember that God, His Word, and His people can provide direction for life.